Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. We want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Healing Insight. Healing Insight is an acupuncture and holistic medicine clinic on Grand Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota. Owner Senia May and her team of practitioners can help patients with everything from anxiety to pain relief to fertility and so much more. Now, I've personally been seeing Senia for several years, and I'm now part of her membership program, which means I have a standing monthly appointment. Each month, we decide together which areas of my health to focus on. Sometimes it's an energy boost. Sometimes it's more acute, like sinus issues. Other times we focus on boosting immunity. Several of my family members go to Healing Insight, and I really do credit Senya as being a huge part of how I'm able to balance work, family, and other projects, and overall, the most important part, maintain good health. Now, Senya can also help you work through many health issues over Skype or Zoom calls. And Senya was also our featured guest on one of our most listened to episodes episodes of Best to the Nest. It's episode 25, simply titled Anxiety. I really encourage you to download that episode if you haven't already and go to HealingInsightOnline.com. That's HealingInsightOnline.com to find out more about Senya and her team. I'm Marjorie Punnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best to the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. How you holding up, Elizabeth? How you doing? Holding up. Hanging in there. Yeah, we're doing pretty well. We are just taking it day by day and uh, and just counting our blessings while still having a tearful moment now and then. <laughs> yeah, I had that last night. And I, I, do. Been, I feel like I've been pretty strong. And I had my second sort of wake up at three o'clock in the morning, thoughts racing, all of that. And I just thought of Senya to think of my feet. Yes. Think of my feet. <laughs> just the earth is supporting me. Think of my feet. And it actually helps. It was, it was, it, I just had to stop the spiral. And the anxiety is just you and I, like a lot of people, are still working. And so mm-hmm. we're still working and trying to manage the change in every other aspect of our life, you more than me, because you've got little people depending on you. But I think that sometimes gets a little overwhelming to me is just trying to keep everything in balance. And Yeah, and as we record this, I mean, this is – it's Thursday, uh, March 26th today. The governor of Minnesota yesterday just announced this stay-at-home initiative, which is sort of like a modified version of a shelter-in-place. So it expanded the number of businesses that are closed. Right. And then – formally said school will not be back in session until at least May 4th. And that I think was a lot for a lot of parents to hear. So we're definitely, I mean, we're, we're in the thick of it, but we are certainly not at the worst of it. 
Yeah. Right. I just, Was school and that's a hard open? thing to wrap your head you around. Guys? No, no, school okay. hasn't been open, okay. but he, it was initially said closed for two weeks. And then now it's, okay. Hey, it's definitely closed through May 4th. And then of course, a lot of people are p- placing bets that it won't reopen at all. Why would they? Through the end Honestly. of the year. So you have, it's interesting how you're seeing how everyone is reacting to this. And I've been home. I haven't gone anywhere but work in two weeks. Right. And that's, and and then I've picked up my children. So we do, we still have childcare. Right. So we're still utilizing that, which has been a full out lifesaver. And, but it's, I had a coworker of mine kind of crack on a phone call yesterday and, um, and snap about something. And, you know, in a normal situation, I would have called it out and been like, Hey, yeah. unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, <laughs> but in this situation, it was just like, Hey, I'm going to give you some serious grace because it is tough out there and you have no idea what people are struggling with at home. And then sure enough, I, I got an email today that said, I'm just dealing with this adjustment much worse than I thought. And I sincerely apologize. And it was oh. like, of course, I think being quick to offer people the benefit of the doubt and then quick to apologize is really the greatest thing that you can do with your relationships, both in your nest and out of your nest right now, because it's just like a day-to-day thing. I keep reading from people who are posting on social media, yesterday I was fine, today I'm in a puddle of tears. Yeah, it's a little bit of a roller coaster. I I definitely feel that a bit. And we have a morning conference call every morning at 930 with our, our creative content team. And everybody still has work to do. I mean, there's a TV station. I work for a PBS station. It has to stay on the air. It's hard because people are for exactly that reason. People, you don't know what people are going through at home. You don't know what they're trying to balance, how their circumstances have changed, how their spouse's circumstances have changed, or if they're alone, what kind of pressure is that? But I'll tell you last night, Elizabeth, I was, couldn't focus. I had more work to do, but I just couldn't focus on that. It was about eight o'clock last night, and I'm going to make a little confession here. So I've had a car for three months now. I got a speeding ticket. <laughs> oh. Three you months. got a speeding ticket in the middle of a global pandemic, and you've only had your car for 12 weeks? Okay, shame, Elizabeth. More shame. I know. Sorry. I, know. The tw- I, yeah, know. I know. The 12 weeks makes it sound worse than three months, so I did that on purpose, and so, that, that I apologize for that. So that was a dig. I um, I actually got the wow. ticket on February 26th is when it was a photo. It was uh, whatever it's called when they catch you, they catch you with a camera. And yeah. so not only do you get the ticket, but you get a picture of yourself <laughs> speeding, which is like the extra humiliation. And because What does your face look like when your pedals to the metal? Oh, it's hysterical. I look so <laughs> intense, like so incredibly intense. I find that so surprising from you, Margaret. Yeah, really. But what's so, what's so horrible is so you have a choice of I could appear in court. I haven't had a speeding ticket. I don't know if ever. I got pulled over. I got my last one when I was 21. Yeah, it's been a very long time. So there's all of this like Catholic guilt and shame, like, oh my God, I've done something wrong. But your choice is either to pay it, prove that it's not you, appear in court, or go to defensive driving school. So (laughs) that's what I did last night is I signed up for my course, which you can do online. It's a four-hour course. And I did about two and a half hours of it last night, and I kept calling my younger son and tell, to tell him what I was learning, because here's the most interesting thing I learned from my defensive driving course last night. It was actually great, because it took my mind off of our current situation, is 
Arizona, all land is considered open range. Oh, that feels good. I doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I like that. It, it made me so happy. But what that that feels free. What that means, Elizabeth, is if you hit a cow, you own the cow. Oh my gosh! Because the cows have the right of way. So <laughs> that's what I was doing last night, and it very much took my mind off of the pandemic. But I also feel like, okay, Margaret, you know better. Stop speeding. So I, I will be, and I was learning tons. So that's a good thing. But we wanted to talk about this morning pressure. In the New York Times, the parenting editor wrote an uh, opinion piece, I think it was two days ago, and she titled it How the Coronavirus Exposes the Great Lie of Modern Motherhood. And I thought, this speaks to our time right now. And I'm just going to read you the beginning of it. She wrote, her name is Jessica Gross, and she wrote, I couldn't sleep the night of March 12th. New York City public schools were still open, and many of my peers were choosing to pull their children out. I couldn't decide whether to keep mine in class. My friends in Hong Kong had been home with their kids for months, but the schools never closed in Singapore. Even though I was speaking to infectious disease pediatricians every day as part of my reporting, there wasn't consensus among them on how parents should proceed. The local mom message boards were lit up with shaming and counter-shaming. You're hysterical for pulling them out. No, you're crazy for keeping them in. I was relieved when the city announced schools were shuttering on March 15th, so I didn't have to decide. And I think this is what exactly what she says, how this virus exposes the depth of the decisions, the pressure of the decisions you have to make, especially when your children are young, to keep them safe, and how often that burden lies on the mother. And what, it does. And yeah. I don't know why that is. I really don't. She's got an explanation, but I just wanted to talk about that first because you have young children, and this well, is and mine are really still. Feel it. Yeah, and mine are still in childcare, and it's so fascinating, um, you know, that this was part of it because I just faced this the other day. I read an Instagram message from someone who wrote to me and said, "Hey, I'd, I'd mentioned on the radio that my kids were still in childcare." Yeah. And so she said to me, thank you so much for saying that your kids are still in childcare. And half the time I say stuff and I don't think about the consequences or what people are going to judge at all. Right. You, you know, can't. I mean, or you wouldn't say anything. I, I wouldn't be able to say anything. Yeah. So I don't really think about it. So I thought, oh, gosh, I didn't really realize that I needed to be thanked for saying that. But I just thought I was just saying it. She said, I have my kids still in daycare. And I've been getting so much shame for it, saying you should have them out. If you're working from home, you should have them out. And she said, but I can't work from home with a two and a half year old. Right. And she said, and I've got my school age child at home, but that's enough for me to be able to handle and to be able to still try to get some work done while I'm at home. And so I've been feeling so badly about sending my child to daycare. And I was like, listen here, lady. (laughs) I mean, you've got to make that choice for yourself, and you certainly have to make it based on if, number one, I think, how you feel about the health and wellness of your family. I mean, if you're very concerned and you have underlying health issues and and you just want to absolutely minimize any risk of encountering anyone else, then that's one thing. But you also have to balance the idea of what is your mental health like and what is the health of your home like? I know very clearly that if my children were going to be home every single day, that it would be such a source of 
stress and tension for me and my husband. Right. That's just the reality right. of our life. Jay and I were just talking last night and I said, you are such a great dad. You're an amazing dad. You're so affectionate with them. You want to teach them things. You talk to them about perseverance and overcoming frustration and all of these things. I mean, he's such a wonderful father, but I will tell you something, Marjorie, he is not a stay at home dad. Not. And I was like, there's no way. He's home more than me because he can work 100% from home right. right now. I can't. And and then the weight of what that would do to me of being like, oh my gosh, this is stressful for them. What's going on? Is he snapping? I'm holding on to my childcare with every shred that I can. And then just planning to bring in like a whole bunch of Starbucks gift cards to the teachers to thank them this week. <laughs> but this is, but this is the decision. I mean, and I think this is the way when I had young kids, this is how in my head that decision goes. Okay. I, I need this. I need to keep working. I can't work from home. My husband needs to keep working. He can't work with a, a four and two-year-old. What right. am I going to do? Oh my gosh, but if I take them to daycare and somebody gets sick and somebody, if God forbid something awful happens, then it's my fault. Yeah. That's where my head goes. It goes to it's my, it doesn't go to it's our fault. It goes to it's my fault. Uh, immediately. You know what I mean? And that was yeah. the pressure for me of motherhood. And that's partially that's on me. That's the way my mind works. Everything that had to do with the children and their safety was a hundred percent on me. And I will tell you when I, when I was, when the kids were little, I was still working, I was still doing freelance for uh, the Oprah Winfrey show. And I was flying back and forth from Atlanta to Chicago. And so I would be gone four days. And my husband was there and we had no pair. And mm -hmm. I did this for about four or five months. And then it obviously became untenable. But part yeah. of what broke me was the au pair had taken my two young children to the park and she had taken her eye off of Gar, and she lost him. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. And he uh, he had been playing with somebody, a little, another little boy, and the other little boy just said, hey, why don't you come to my house? So Gar was five. Oh, so he's yeah. like, okay. So <laughs> he went to the other kid's house. The au pair did exactly the right thing. She ran home. My husband was there. And it, it was a non-event. They found him right away. It was no big deal. In the end, it was no big deal. But it was a blink of an eye, and he was gone. She did not know where he was. Yeah. And right away, my guilt started, even though it's entirely conceivable. A lot of times when I was doing freelance work, I would work from home, and the babysitter would take the kids to the park. For so sure. My yeah, husband I know. Was you know, Marjorie, it's not like you could have 100% ever avoided no, that. No, the only way 100% I would have avoided that if I was 100% with my children at every moment. But as yeah. a working mom... I had such incredible guilt over the fact that I wasn't there. And it's, and I just, part of why this article hit me so strongly is that I think when working mothers make the decisions they make, and if they're made responsibly, I mean, my husband was home. <laughs> it wasn't that I think we have to give each other, you talked earlier about grace, the grace of we all want our kids to be safe. If you're choosing to send your kids to daycare, it's not because you want them to be unsafe. Right. Of course. <laughs> you're not doing that. You're not looking at them and go, you know what? I don't care. I, I don't care if they get sick. Of course you're not. 
You're making a decision for your family. And I think that's the hard part. And sometimes we will make wrong decisions. Families will make wrong decisions. But I think it's that idea of how much that burden sits squarely on a mother's shoulders when it should sit squarely, at the very least, on a family's shoulders of how Mm -hmm. those decisions are made. And there's two things that have to shift in that. I mean, I think there's a cultural shift that has to be made, but then we also have to just consciously be making the shift within ourselves, right? And we have to shift the story that you're telling yourself, that you're the one that's responsible. It's we're responsible. And if you're in a single parent situation, you're facing a whole nother level of responsibility because then it is all on you. And that is, that is a, the challenges of that are just- I can't imagine. I can't imagine. And just so difficult. So, but it is, we as mothers are constantly taking on the responsibility of everything for our children. Like they should be smart, well-fed, well-behaved, potty trained, kind. Now it's like they have to be kind in addition to successful. (laughs) They also have to be nice. But see, I'm honest to God. (laughs) Damn it. They have to to go to Harvard, but they have to be nice about it too. I mean, honestly. (laughs) It's too and it's much. All on us. It's too much, Elizabeth. It is too too much. Yes, but. and that and that gets us to that sort of historic perspective, yeah. which you pulled out of this article as well. And I found this part to be so fascinating, Marjorie. When I was reading this last night, right? And 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 it does kind of just ease into what I was just saying. And the this author in this New York Times piece writes. Women's diaries from the pre-Civil War era when raising children was a much more collective endeavor tell a different story. Women did not write very much about child care, and they did not blame themselves when children got sick, even through epidemics of diphtheria, smallpox, scarlet fever, measles, whooping cough, and many other infectious diseases swept through communities without warning. And she does say the diaries and the letters from this time are literate, upper-class white women. So to give you a perspective on who we're hearing from. But she goes on to talk about historians in this paper who pointed out that in the household structure in early America, it was permeable. So neighbors, friends, and relatives all helped with caretaking. Watching over children was not seen as an individual mother's job. And though the child mortality rate was high, mothers did not feel a sense of personal responsibility for their children's deaths. They felt it was God's hand. So, I mean, and I think two things have happened there in terms of our shift. I mean, we've, we have completely turned into a society, which is so fascinating to watch that now when we have to all do this fight against coronavirus together. Right. Because we are a society that has become so individualistic yep. and just focused on ourselves all the time. And then also we've really statistically moved away from faith. Yeah. And and so there is some ways I think like, yeah, we've got a lot of self-responsibility, which is great. But on the other hand, we take on a lot ourselves when we don't rely on our community and we don't have an understanding of a greater power. Yeah, I think however you want to think of your own personal faith or religion yeah. or organized religion, mm-hmm. I think that's I'm, – I'm wondering what will be the outcome when, when this – runs its course for this season. Because the people that I know of faith, and I I will say I was a good Catholic until I was about 18 or 19. I went to church every Sunday. I went to Catholic schools. I, I think I was a good person. I think I 
took seriously what my religion was asking me to be and do. But I wouldn't say I necessarily had a profound sense of faith. And I think there's a difference. A faith that knowing that there's a higher power that was caring for me. So -hmm. when you hear people witness and you hear them talk about what that faith means to them, I envy it. And my husband is a is a is a profound he's he's profoundly faithful. He has a very strong sense of faith. And what's interesting in being married to someone like that, it's very steadying to me. I always joke that I sort of will ride into heaven on his coattails just because <laughs> that sounds nice. He I I depend on his faith and I think mine has grown, but it has not always been the center to how I think of things. And it has, it has definitely grown over the years because I live with someone who has it and I see how it's sustaining and so I strive for it. And so I wonder sometimes that idea of one having faith in God in terms of knowing that I don't control this and this is in somebody else's hands, how that can be, how that can lift a burden. And then beyond that, the idea of community, whether it's a spiritual community or a neighborhood community, that will be an interesting outcome of all of this as well, is we really can't flatten the curve without each other. And so that's an interesting idea. And, And to think of that globally is sort of a new day, too. So yeah. I, but I, I do like the idea of this because when, when you were reading that again, the historical context of it, the expectation was that the community was responsible for the well-being of a child. And so you le- even look at that, Elizabeth, in terms of your decision to send your kids to daycare still. If, if somebody were to judge you, they're ignoring the fact that it's taking a community for you too to get through this pandemic. Yeah, And there shouldn't is. be shame in that. Right. Especially, yeah. there shouldn't be shame in that. And I think I think there probably are people who probably disagree with that decision. Hopefully, For sure. they're not going to come don't out of the email me. and criticize you. I don't want to but... know. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to know. Isn't it fascinating <laughs> though how you you talk about this collectively? We have to all do this together, and yet we have to be so separate in order to do it together. It is so fascinating. I mean, when you start to look at all of this and you really get down to just like the nitty gritty of what we're doing. It is so intriguing how it's this collective team coming together. We have to do this together. I mean, you're hearing that on the news. You're hearing that from the leaders. I mean, we just, we heard our governor here who is a really great speaker and he's a former teacher. So he just has a wonderful way of communicating all of this to us. And he, uh, it was all about like we have to do this together. But in order to do this together, you cannot be together. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's very, very strange. Well, Jessica Gross re- ended her piece with this idea, and I wanted to leave everybody else with this too. And I, she wrote, instead of worrying about the micro decisions in our individual well-heeled families, we, dads included, should be putting our energies and efforts into keeping institutions accountable for everyone's well-being. To paraphrase that Louisiana mother, that's somebody she referenced earlier in the article, the pandemic is dark and mysterious far beyond our comprehension. But it also gives us the opportunity to make lasting moves away from the ethos of individual responsibility for children's health and toward community support. We should take it. And I I love that idea of, because we touched on this with Senya last week, a little bit of we are going to get to a new normal. 
And when we think about that, and I think we'll be talking about this on a future podcast, what we would like the new normal to look like, but healthcare is one of them, one of those things that I think we have to keep at the forefront. I think this pandemic is exposing what we already, I think many of us already knew was there as we have a healthcare problem. And this idea of collectively solving a problem together. And I think healthcare is going to be one of those things, especially when we look at when all of the final numbers come in and when we finally really know what we've been fighting, even within the hospitals, we're going to have to make some changes. It'll be fascinating to see what what the new normal is. And I, But I think you're right, that community support, I mean, you really see what is important to people. And I'm particularly seeing that this is so separate from children, which is what we've been talking about. But with regards to small business, yeah. where you are just seeing people just shout that we have got to help our small businesses and we have to support them and that they make up the fabric of our community. And I, at this point, I do feel positive about, I think larger companies are really taking their own responsibility right. for getting through this and not looking for outside assistance and smaller businesses are asking for the outside assistance and collectively we seem open to giving that. So that feels better to me than maybe past crises in which I felt like this, the script was flipped a little bit and geared more towards the big guy. But it is how my co-host on Twin Cities Live, he keeps saying this COVID-19 crisis is the tree. And then the branches that expand from that tree are just so far reaching and yeah. there's just new ones sprouting all the time. And, you know, he's not a tree hugger kind of guy. So for him to do a tree analogy, <laughs> sounds quite interesting, but that's what he's been doing. You know, and, you know, uh, things have changed. <laughs> yeah, I know that he's really under duress. Yes. If he is going directly to the tree. Yes. Um, but it is, it's just impossible for these tree branches to not touch every aspect of our life. But gosh, have we I've been hearing from people Marjorie who keep posting like this podcast is needed more than ever. This is what we need to be talking about, which is home and you know, I hope that as you're listening to this you're feeling a little bit of community and respite and hopefully the tone of we know that this is hard, but yeah. at the same time, if we don't laugh a little bit about it, we're going to be curled up in the fetal position in the closet with an empty bottle of vodka and Absolutely. nobody needs that. Well, I just also want women. I I I just want women who are in the position that you're in right now with young children, there's an overwhelming sense of keeping them safe. And I just want women to know that they're not alone in that. You're not alone in keeping your children safe. There's a community that cares. It doesn't solely rest on your shoulders. And I think especially, too, when you were saying that for the single moms out there, they must feel overwhelmed. And I just want perspective that it always hasn't it always hasn't been this way and as we're transitioning there might be a new way where that responsibility might be shouldered than more than just one person you can share that responsibility that's my hope anyway yeah you're totally right and i saw i saw a little post from kate dubler the real food rn who Mm -hmm. has been a guest on best to the nest who we love uh she is a former nurse and she posted a photo of a nurse sitting down in a hospital hallway with her head in her hands and said, and it said something to the effect of as you're figuring out or praying for, you know, how are you going to get through another day with your children? I'm praying that I don't bring this virus home to them. Right. And so I think that perspective too, of just the understanding that 
I, and you know, I'm not a big fan of this, of thinking of how you could have it worse. Right. <laughs> I, I don't, right. That's I don't just... think that does a lot of good, but at the same time, there is in, in this, in a collective crisis, there is an important, there are important moments in the day when you can just take a step back. And I really think, think two things. Number one, I am only going to focus on this present moment and this day. Right. There is nothing I can hand, I can control other than this day. And then number two, there are, there are people who have it harder, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it is, that's just the truth of it in this collective crisis environment. And so hopefully that can help you just take a deep breath. And as Senya said to us last week, feel your feet on the ground. Yep. Just feel your feet on the ground. Let that be your mantra. It was very helpful to me last night when my, when my mind was racing, feel your feet on the ground. It's good stuff, Marjorie. Please don't get any more speeding tickets. I can't take any more of that. I can't. Don't I know. do it. I have to keep your pedal. Ease up. Criminy. <laughs> All right. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. So Rhonda says this. My favorite podcast. Oh, goodness, Rhonda, you're our favorite. Yes. She says, I love listening each week. You two bring joy, wisdom, and honesty to every episode. Thank you for doing what you do, for choosing great topics and guests. During these uncertain times, you two bring calm and a sense of normalcy. Let's hope. Find us on Facebook <laughs> and Instagram at Best of the Nest or go to bestofthenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.